You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Professor Dr. Sam Juni. Sam Juni is here on our side of the pond, and we've been suffering through a little bit of rainy weather and some heat, but I know that hasn't stopped you, Sam, from uh, your commitment to your physical health. You do. You are a biker, and you appreciate, I think, somebody in their 70s who's still in, you know, in, in good shape and with good health. And I, when I think about people in their 70s, I don't think about Trump, and of course, Biden is now in his 80s. I think about everyone's favorite despot, the the fellow that walks around with horns drawn on his head everywhere, uh, the villain of the 21st century, uh, Vladimir Putin. And he is in very good shape. I mean, it's true, Biden looks pretty fit. But then when Biden says things like, well, Putin might is going to lose the war with Iraq, <laughs> you realize that however trim he looks inside, things aren't necessarily uh, operating the way they should. Whereas Putin, despite all the salvos that are lobbied against him, when he speaks, I don't speak Russian too well, but I do understand a little bit. He sounds strong, forceful. He does not seem in any way enfeebled by his 70 years. Yeah, he's probably a biker. (laughs) Yeah, I think he loves horses, but I think he definitely gets out there and does stuff. And and in many ways, he does not look like a doddering old man like his generals. Uh, You know, his generals have been accused of being geriatric idiots in Mm -hmm. the recent putsch against him. But Putin himself seems very much in control. You would think that the, with Russia's down being downgraded after the fall of the Berlin Wall, that Russia would be irrelevant. And yet Putin is on the lips of everyone continuously. He's still a major player in geopolitics throughout the world. And what he does and says, people feel is extremely important. We are all pretty ethnocentric and we tend to judge other people other heroes, other cultures, based on our own Meshuggah templates, which vary from, you know, decade to decade, depending on what the political winds are that are blowing in our neighborhood here. So, I mean, basically, let's not look at it from a Western perspective or our perspective or what's good for the Jews. Let's look at him as what he pretends to be and what his constituency would like him to be, which is a Russian patriot. Somebody was after the good of Russia, okay? And I'm not even going to talk about imperialist um, needs because that's also considered the good of. It was considered the good of America to colonize. It was considered the good of England. And nobody cast this kind of garbage on, on, on people because it didn't quite fit the perspective of the French or the Spanish or the Italian. So here is someone who is a patriot, the way I see it. He sees um, the um, Russia and then after it's grown into the Soviet Union as an entity, as a viable entity that was doing a lot of what they consider to be good stuff, which is spreading the true gospel of communism, of socialism. And some, some of them believe this. I mean, some of them may take advantage of the system. But people do that anyway. There's no reason to assume that he's not a patriot from their perspective. So I think a lot of what's going on over here is that he's being vilified for attacking this independent country. Now, from his perspective, there are a lot of Russians there. There are a lot of people there who like Russia. And there are a lot of people there who resent the fact that they had seceded from the um, Soviet 
republics there and become their own country other than Russia. And uh, I think he's as much a patriot to the Russian as Lincoln was to the Northerners. And he's an anathema to the, um, to the Ukrainians, just like Lincoln was an anathema to the South. So well, what are we getting so excited about? Oh, he killed some people. I think Lincoln killed a couple of people too. And um, I don't it. think, I, I don't think Lincoln ever ordered attacks on hospitals, uh, housing orphans, okay, so if, uh, if, if, leveling if, if, cities if to the ground. Yeah, 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 okay, look, look, so you, you drank the Kool-Aid. I think if you ask Russians whether Putin would order direct attacks specifically on innocent populations, they would say no. Now you say differently because you're a cot carrying, uh, you know, American. Very nice. I, I appreciate the fact that you've assimilated so well, but, yeah. uh, and I don't mind vilifying Russians, but I think from their perspective, he didn't order that. And if he does order that, I'm sure he would consider that as an evil thing to do, but it had to be done, like America bombing uh, Hiroshima. It all depends which hat you're wearing. You, you know, you're getting sucked in by this propaganda. They're doing a good I'm job. I'm not sure if I'm getting sucked in. It's possible that the news media that is distilling this information distills it in a prejudicial form. Yeah, and they're doing their job. They're doing their job. You know, they want to keep their job. If they'd be working for Pravda, they'd be doing a different job. And Trump would agree with me. Shine. Okay. The difference, of course, between Lincoln, who, by the way, you know, Harry Jaffa, the student of Leo Strauss, uh, used the Straussian ideas to point to Lincoln as almost the, the ultimate human being, someone who, who came out of the democratic principles of a country that was formed out of nowhere to be this incredibly literate, noble, sagacious person. And for, for Sam, you know, for you to, to sort of put Putin and Lincoln uh, in the uh, same uh, breath. Uh, no, no, I'm taking the glasses that you have, putting some Russian lenses in there and speaking. I'm not necessarily, you know, a big adherent of Putin. I doubt I'd, you know, I'd invite him to a Shevabrachus. No, I, not at all. I'm just saying we are brainwashed by our own reinforcing media, um, gospel, ideology, and we fail to see that they don't see themselves as villains. Lincoln's role in it is definitely a lot more nuanced than you learn about in third grade. His suspension of habeas corpus, his willingness to invoke the War Powers Act to allow him to wage war against the sovereign states, uh, to basically free the slaves, which was also an act that went over and above. Where did we ever see that the president can dis dismantle private property. This would seem to be tyranny. And you're right, Lincoln was called a tyrant by the South. Lincoln's rationale in freeing the slaves was not to, as a moral Moses that was going to uh, say this is evil, but rather because slave labor, since it was illegal in the South, helped the war effort, which continued to break the union asunder. Therefore, Lincoln felt that we are going to take away from the South their ability to wage war. Lincoln used the War Powers Act to free the slaves. Now, it, it could be that part of the reason he had to say this was because there were many in his party and many even in the North that felt slavery wasn't such a terrible institution. 
Yeah, wait, did it? I just I'm curious. Did it help the war effort, or this is just something did on paper? Of course it did, because what it what happened was as word spread, even before Juneteenth, the Yom Hakodesh, the Hanoira, even before Juneteenth, when word spread that there was a declaration freeing them, many of the slaves began running away instead of uh-huh. being used as soldiers in the South. So he, so he fermented the fifth column, in other words, from from the other perspective. Right. When you when you step back for a minute and you say, what right does any president have to to to, to illegalize private property? The mm-hmm. answer is I'm fighting a war for the lifeblood of my country. And now so therefore, I agree. Lincoln was a dictator in many ways. He used power in, in, in ways that had never been used before. And he used it sometimes in a precision-like manner that allowed him to be the superior of his generals. Hold hold on, let's forget about the slaves. Let's talk about Lincoln enforcing membership in a country of units that don't want to be part of the country. And let's compare that to what Putin is doing in Ukraine and in Crimea and what he'd like to do to all the former Soviet bloc countries. I don't see the difference. Now, the difference is, of course, this was more of a federation than a country, but the United States of America, if I look at it on paper, sounds like a federation also. Okay, so Lincoln did funny things with slaves. I think it was nice things because I happen to, you know, my moral compass in that direction. But I'm just trying to localize it on this particular aspect that Putin is being vilified about, which is using means of equivocal kosher standards to enforce membership in a country on the population that doesn't want to be there. And I say, eh. So let's first talk about, and we would probably, we probably should both say that neither of us are experts in colonial history. I think it's right? fairly evident to my point. Right. So let us both say that. However, you are correct that it was almost going from one colony to the other. You needed to perhaps acquaint yourself with a whole new mindset and new rules, but they were all under the protectorate and they were all part of the British Empire. And there were certain overriding rules that bound them together. And in that way, there were certain, and as we know, we they wanted to fight against the king. No tax, remember? No taxation without representation. This was a clarion call that all the states threw in for. Now, it wasn't a union. It wasn't an independent country, but it went from it, it, it always was somewhat united. I'm not so sure. I would call it isolated. I would call it colonies contiguous to each other being ruled by one major force. Once the countries that were part of the former Soviet Union disbanded and were granted nation status by the UN or whatever governing bodies do grant status, they were no longer the same country and under the same rules. In Ukraine, there was no overriding type of law that was prevalent in Russia, in Moscow, and in Kiev. Whereas in the United States, whether it was pre the revolution or post the revolution, Remember, what replaces the King George? What replaced the King of England? A constitution that all the states signed to be part of. Oh, they, they, signed, they signed explicitly. Did they have any guns to their heads? Okay. And, and, no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm not quite buying this. 
Because if you ask, you know, the states themselves, do they want to be part of this? Well, I'm being blackmailed because the slaves are here, the cotton is there, we want to come up with it. And anyway, and what did France think about this in the Revolutionary War? When France was coming in, France was also trying to defy the will of the world. Now you're conflating. the the At the Constitutional Congress, each state which was now not a colony, but rather a state, sent representatives that they voted on. Now, how those votes occurred, you can always quibble that it wasn't the most democratic way to send Thomas Jefferson from Virginia or John Adams or whatever. There was probably a little bit of protectia deciding who was going to be there. But on paper and based on what we know, they were representatives of the states. And just like the Nisim in our Bible, in our Torah, decided about who gets what Chalik and Eretz Yisrael, those representatives, they represented the people, and therefore they agreed to submit to the Constitution. Lincoln had them dead to rights about secession, because secession destroys that. Now, you could say, Sam, that there never was a true dismantling of the USSR, that it was all, it didn't really happen, and that it was all uh, forced onto them, and that, and, and that's probably what Putin really thinks. Putin thinks- yes. Right. But there was a dismantling and the country did get different status. They got a new seat at the table at the U.N. There were many, many indicators. I'm not saying they were that the countries were bastions of freedom. Ukraine is full of a bunch of underhanded rascals and banditen. And there are definitely some unrepentant Nazis and other people that are still probably alive there relishing how they crushed Jewish skulls. But they were a separate state by all national and international definitions. And because of that, I don't think your Lincoln parallel really holds up. I don't deny that Putin might think himself a latter-day Lincoln, but I'm surprised you do. No, no, no. I understand his perspective. The These people, they have a certain perspective. The perspective is that what you call international, whatever, is a bunch of hoodlums, and you as a Jew, and I hope a pro-Israeli can understand that what the UN decides... <laughs> Anyway, and they're also, they were disbanded with false understandings that they'll never join NATO and they'll never become antithetical. And if had you known that these people become so independent that they might actually oppose their cousins or their brothers, so to speak, he never would have agreed and nobody would have agreed. So it was under full circumstances, just as the the president of Texas or the president of Louisiana would tell you, this federation was intended to X or Y, not to join the dictatorship where you tell us how to live our lives and what our morality should be and with different economies. Look, I am not justifying. I'm just saying if you take the perspective there, if you were given an assignment in the debating class to come up with something plausible, you could do it in five minutes. Okay, I'm not saying what you're saying isn't a decent uh, suggestion in a a high school debate class. But what I would argue is, and I don't know if it's true because I'm hearing it from the Western media, that there is a tremendous amount of discord, that there's the troops themselves have uh, abandoned their posts. There isn't a lot of national spirit among the Russian fighters. And it could be all these stories have been exaggerated. And I think that in a way is important because you're telling me that the Russian mindset, Putin's mindset, the mindset of many patriotic Russians needs to be understood. We can't drink the Kool-Aid, as you say, and view them 
as the evil empire. We need to realize that they look in the mirror and shave and see good people. They see themselves as noble. They see themselves fighting the fight for the integrity of their country. Yeah, or the integrity of the ideals for which their country stands for, which is life, liberty, and oppression for all, whatever it is, life, liberty, and, and uh, socialism, and good values, and stay away from the Tame West. One of the people who I most rely on is a fellow from Russia who served in the Russian army, who's married uh, to a Ukrainian woman. And for the last year, his life has been disrupted. And he tells me, my friend Victor, that he knows that the news he's hearing is jaundiced. And he knows that when Putin says that there are very evil men and neo-Nazi-like figures in, in Ukraine, he believes that that is true. Just the idea that we are blinded by our own ideology to the point that we just feel very comfortable using those standards on others who subscribe to something else is important to understand. And that's true interpersonally as well. It's true across the board. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to condemn and and mouth whatever it is you've been taught to mouth. But uh, I I think the the idea of of relativism here is very important to keep in perspective. You know, sometimes you're right. It's mouthing whatever you hear because you don't want to take the time to think about it. Other times you've actually done a deep dive and you believe it's true and nothing's going to stop you from your, your your sense of this. And you believe that everybody on the other side who doesn't think that way is either stupid or evil, right? Right. Well, there are two and, options. That's right. terrible. And, 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 and the first person who's basically just going with the wave, I, I suppose you could shake him into a different perspective. The second person, I believe, is much harder. And I just want to share with you a little idea that I shared with my son, Nehemia, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, every Friday, I speak to him, and I try to come up with something about the parsha. Of course, with the time difference between us, I'm sometimes quite you groggy. You've got a parsha problem, right? Yes, I'm sometimes quite groggy. And of course, it's different parshios now. But in Parsha's Korach, we know that originally Korach's band of brigands and firebrands who wanted to to upset the whole judicial system of who is in control included a fellow by the name of On, On Ben Pelas. He was one of the ringleaders. And we know that he doesn't show up later. Everybody else, Dustin, Vaviram, they're dead. But On, we don't know what happens to him. The rabbis had a tradition that his wife, was able to somehow save him. His wife spoke with him and said, "Look, you're not going to be a leader either way. Either you're going to be a you're going to be a lackey to Korach or lackey to Moshe. This is Korach's ego. This is what Korach wants. You don't think that this is going to rectify anything." But then he said, "What am I supposed to do? I've already sworn to them. I swore. When a person swears, Sam, they're reaching into their deepest inner recesses and saying, "I'm with you. This is what must be done." Anyway, she came up with an idea which you're very familiar with. It's a very strange chazal in the light of the fact that they were so excited. What she did was she sat and she first of all got him drunk and asleep, and after she got him drunk willingly and asleep, she sat in front of their tent and she undid her scarf and let her beautiful tresses fall in a way that when they came in the morning to go get him to 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 lead the charge as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, 
they wouldn't do it. Chazal then say, why was he called Ben Peles? Because what happened to him was niflaot. It was amazing. It was miraculous. Asks Kivalevich, what's miraculous here? <laughs> this is a story about a guy whose wife helped him out. He had second thoughts. What was the miracle? So I say tongue-in-cheek, Sam, when you're committed to something and you know that it's the right thing, you swear to it, it's everything to you, you're going to fight. It's a, it's a miracle to change that person's mind, to even get him to talk about it with his wife. Because once people are dead set on something, the truth could be dangled in front of them, they'll still head straight along into that destructive path. That's a Pella. I'm really, I'm really supporting you. It's a pillow that somebody could change his mind. So I want to know what the um, uh, Chumash would have looked like had Korach won the revolution. Okay? Turns out Moshe was a great guy, did very well, but then he went astray and he got involved with nepotism, right? And Korach called him out on it. Actually, first cousin, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm pushing this envelope to show you that what you think is solid truth or whatever can be distorted by a change in history, and then you get a different perspective, which you as a rabbi would then be giving the sermon on July 4th saying, Korach's revolution is Menashemayim, mm-hmm. happened exactly when we're, when we're up to July 4th, roughly, because again, the powers of good prevailed over a system. Okay, so you have to understand, I'm using history as a lens, but if it's not history, it's culture. I I appreciate you using Korach, because obviously it wasn't just five angry men, there was 250 of the best and the brightest and the holiest who were part of it. But they, they lost, they lost, and then we can vilify them. Yeah, well, actually, we sort of have a tempered approach to them. They, they are considered chotim benafshotam, and we sort of take their censure pans and we form it into the covering of, 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 of the Mizbeach. So we sort of, in a way, give them a, 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 a an olive branch of a way to sort of understand. Just just like Putin will end up doing a little medal for this guy there after he kills him. <laughs> well, look, you know, there's no, Korach definitely proves your point because he, despite what we consider the inanity of his argument, because, you know, still he, he had people convinced. And there's no I don't question think it was a name. I mean, from the Torah perspective, it was wrong. I don't think it was a name at all. So let me let me tell you the inanity of the Korach argument. Because then if Moshe is the vehicle for Torah, Moshe is the conduit for all the ideas, you unplug Moshe, then what happens? Is someone else become the conduit? No one else received anything except the first two or maybe the first 10 commandments. You don't have a Torah otherwise. You Again, even if you want to say that Moshe let something go off the rails, and somehow afterwards he became not the Moshe that we knew. He was like Yochanan Kohen Gadol. That's precisely, I was thinking of Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Precisely. And that's why God was kind enough to make sure that you had true zealot and were willing to call it. So where, but, but where would, where would Korach, where would Korach have cut off the authentic word of God and where Moshe becomes Mr. Nepotist? Who would have discovered that, right? What law was, what law was Moshe talking and what law was God talking? 
right? It's almost impossible to to proceed with the with living a Torah life because you don't know if Korach is right, which one is phony and which one isn't. Once you're going to say the choice of who the Nasi is, is, is Moshe's lie in the name of God, then the lie in the name of God could go all the way from the 11th commandment. So I don't know the answer. Of course, the order would fall apart because you have no, no scripture. No, yeah, That's it would right. Fall apart. That's but a name. Don't, don't blame a man for calling out the truth when he sees it. Unless you think he was totally disingenuous and he just wanted power. Okay, maybe. I wasn't there. I think Korach, Putin is an incarnation of Korach. That's, that's a conclusion. <laughs> right. Although Putin might have achieved more uh, vis-a-vis than Korach has. All I'm trying to say is, is that we do, we do not view Korach as the ultimate villain. He, he, he his actions are villainous, and the Zohar actually says he might have been right in a different era, in a future era. Everyone, there is no need for intermediaries. So I'm aware of one major Hasidic dynasty with some really high-powered people who said they are incarnations of Korah. They have to have been a very, to still are a very combative group, but their main them. The main rebbe said he's a reincarnation of Korach. No which means Korach. he's the, which means Sam, he's the tikkun of Korach. Means, uh, uh, means, uh, 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 or if you say that there are different panim and that different truths come out of different ways, now's the time for that truth to prevail. Mm-hmm. You can call that a tikkun if you want to, from a uh, you know non-existentialist perspective. Okay. Well, again, we do want to hear from you. I do want to say it's been a couple of weeks since Sam and I have talked. And I want to put something out there for all of you. If you do want these programs to continue, uh, if you want less of me or more of Sam, we're always welcome for your comments, either to Sam or to me. But in order to keep our program going, we do need your help. We we do have editors. We do have people that that make us sound even smarter than we are. And these programs are, are worked on uh, really uh, I wouldn't say with slave labor, but they are worked on for hours and hours. Uh, We want to be able to produce the best programs for you. So please consider, uh, first of all, telling people about the show, telling people that you appreciate it, liking us on any whatever platform there is, and consider donating whatever amount you feel for the the benefits that you've gotten of this program over the last almost four years. Please consider supporting us, you can write to me at robkiv at gmail.com uh, to help keep this podcast an excellent one in the future. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time, Sam. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.